The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. He said to them, Give them some food yourselves. They replied, Five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go and buy food for all these people. Now the men there numbered about five thousand. Then he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty. They did so and made them all sit down. Then taking the, two, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled twelve wicker baskets. The Gospel of the Lord. The year was 1962. Little Scotty Smalls had just moved to Los Angeles, California. And it was a new neighborhood, so he was trying to find some friends to be able to visit with and to play. And so he went out and he found a group of boys who were playing, but he didn't know the game they were playing. It was baseball. And so they began to teach him. In the course of the days, one day they were playing ball, and one of the kids on the field hit the ball so hard it knocked the cover right off of it. And it was the only ball that they had. So they figured, I guess we're done. We can't play anymore. And so Scotty said, wait, I have a ball at home. I'll be back in just a second. And he ran off to go. He went to his house. He went to his father's room, took the ball off the shelf, ran and brought it back to the team. And they were like, good, you got the ball. Okay, as a reward, we'll let you hit first. And lo and behold, Scotty hit the best hit he ever could and knocked it right over the fence into the yard where the dog ate everything that went there. He began to get a little bit frustrated, and he was really nervous because he knew that his dad liked that ball a great deal. And then he began to explain to the boys it had someone's name on it too. Babe somebody had signed it. The boys around it began to go, Babe Ruth? Did you just play with the baseball sign by Babe Ruth? And he goes, yeah, yeah, that was the name. And they begin to explain to him who exactly Babe Ruth was, because he didn't really even have a clue. As he began to understand the implications, the seriousness of the situation escalated. Thankfully, he was able to go to the owner of the dog that devours everything, and by chance, there was also a Babe Ruth baseball that he had that he was willing to give, and a great friendship was had, and there was much resolution in the story. In case you haven't caught on, that's the movie The Sandlot. It came out in 1993, so I wasn't worried about any spoiler alerts because you should have uh, heard it by now or you're not watching it. So, but that came to mind as I was praying with the scriptures this week because it was this understanding that Scotty had no idea what it was that he held in his hands. He didn't understand the value of what it was to have a baseball signed by Babe Ruth himself. He just figured it was just like any other ball, and somebody had signed it, no big deal. And so he went off to play. 
In the scriptures this weekend, I was struck by a particular point that I hadn't considered myself before in praying with the gospel passage. Certainly, it has very strong Eucharistic implications of how the Lord, seeing this great crowd of people, 5,000 men plus women and children, we can understand, are hungry. And so he needs to feed them. He takes the five loaves and the two fish that the disciples have. He divides everyone up into groups. He takes it. He looks up to heaven and prays. He takes the bread. He breaks it. He blesses it. And then he distributes it to his disciples who in turn distribute it to the crowds. All are fed miraculously. And all are satisfied. A clear miracle, a clear sign of of what was to come, of the gift of the Eucharist that that would be made present all over the world in every single Mass. A gift where the priest looks up to heaven and he takes bread, blesses it, breaks it in the same manner as Jesus and says those blessed words. What intrigued me was at the end, the part I always skip past, I've, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of wondered you know, what, was, what was the implication exactly of the, the 12 wicker baskets in this case. But I always skip to that point and forget the fact that they picked up all the fragments. Jesus knew that they were in a deserted place. He knew that they would have to go off back to their homes, that they would have to travel the ways to get there, that they might get hungry. That's rude. (laughs) Need to talk to somebody about that. He knew that they would be hungry. He knew that they would need something to go with them on the way, right? At least one would presume. And yet, he didn't just say... Take the bread, put it in your pockets, and, and, and eat it when you need on your way home. No. He gathered it all back up. For what purpose, we're not sure. Someone after the last Mass hypothesized that maybe he was making a good bread pudding later on in the day with the disciples. We'll leave that for your reflection. But he gathered up the fragments afterwards. And, and, and that struck me, especially this week, of, of, of seeing that we're celebrating Corpus Christi Sunday, the feast of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. The fact that even the symbol of that was something important enough that they should gather up the fragments. Even the symbol that was pointing towards the Eucharist was enough that it was important to be careful about what was taking place. And if it was that important then, how much more so now when we have the gift of the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist, His body and blood right here on this very altar. It calls to mind the need for us to be aware of what it is that we celebrate and who it is that we receive. For this part of the homily, I would like to kind of veer away from what I normally do and kind of the breaking over the scriptures and reflection type of thing and simply do a sort of Q&A of sorts that in the past weeks, I've received a number of questions to the sim, you know, to the, to the, Gets to the form of, Father, what if, or just questions about things in general, and it seems like half of those things have revolved around the question of the Blessed Sacrament. And so I wanted to take this time basically to paint with a very broad brush uh, some reflections on what happens if, and also some of the whys of what we do in the practice of our Eucharistic faith. And so uh, some of these things may apply to some of you who are here. That's not intentional. If it, if it pokes you a little bit and makes you uncomfortable, 
Sorry, maybe that's the Lord's invitation to, to reflect on it a little bit um, as, as you see fit. So, but basically just beginning with the, the normal etiquette of the Blessed Sacrament. One of the things that I'm edified is, is oftentimes whenever I'm, uh, whenever I'm stopped at, the, at the, the stop sign coming from the Morganza, uh, the Morganza Church or out here waiting to get out of the parking lot, as I'm looking, I'll, I'll see people passing by making the sign of the cross in their cars. I'm like, yeah, Jesus is here. Recognize that, honor that, celebrate that gift. To be able to, to be mindful of the presence of the Lord as we pass by, to do a little hat tip uh, to the Lord in recognition of the presence that he is indeed here, that he's here in the tabernacle 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and to honor him as such. When we come to church, we know that we genuflect towards the Blessed Sacrament. In our church, as well as at St. Anne, uh, the tabernacle is in the center, so it's easy to come down the aisle, general effect with the center. Uh, in other churches, the tabernacle may be on the side or in a side chapel. Uh, and we generally, the, the thing is to genuflect not towards the altar, but towards the Blessed Sacrament. If the Blessed Sacrament isn't here, we bow to the altar. Uh, and so that's a, a, one other way that we can be aware for ourselves of what it is that we're doing and why. Uh, again, those little, those little things... And because the church has a, a rule and a reason for everything that we do, the genuflection is normally done on your right knee because we all want to be the good sheep that are at the right hand of the Father. And so we bend on our right knee, we bless with our right hand, we make the sign of the cross with our right hand. Everything is right hands when it comes to the liturgy. And so we genuflect with our right knee to hit the floor. That's also the question of when going to adoration. Maybe if you've gone to uh, the chapel, uh, the adoration chapel at St. Mary's or at some other place, uh, what happens whenever we go in? If the Lord is already exposed in the Blessed Sacrament, if he's in the monstrance like we'll have at the end of Mass, what do we do? The normal thing that the church has advised uh, is to what, make what's known as a double genuflection. So you bend both knees. So you basically kneel on the ground and you can bow your head and then go to your seat. It's just uh, uh, the normal posture. All these are accepting, uh, accepting the fact that some of us don't have two good knees or even one good knee. So we make the best we can as the situation permits. But it's also to honor the fact of how we describe the gifts that we receive. I was looking on the internet the other day and I came across a question that somebody asked, why do we call a host a host? Something I had never thought of. Maybe it's something you've thought of. I just kind of like... That's what we call it, you know, it's, it's the host. Uh, and yet there was a very important reason that I had never, never thought about that makes great sense. At the end of, uh, at the, end of the Mass, when we, when we sing the, the O Solitaris Hostia uh, for the benediction hymn, O Solitaris Hostia, O Saving Victim. Host means victim. So whenever we receive the host, we receive the victim. We receive the sacrifice. We receive the offering. We receive the Lamb of God who was slain for us. Receive Jesus, not just a piece of bread. Receive Jesus Himself, the one who has laid down His life as priest and victim, the host. What happens if a host is dropped on the floor? Something that I think every one of us who have received on the hand in the course of our life have done, hopefully not intentionally, right? But at some point we've we fumbled the uh, the handoff between us and the priest. And the Lord has hit the floor. How do we respond? And the reality is when Jesus hits the floor, it's not like Jesus is shaken off and it's just bread again. It's fully Jesus. It's the Lord. 
So we have one of two responses. Either we can acknowledge the five-second rule and pick the host up and consume it, or we can pick it back up, or the minister can pick it up and keep it for themselves. I honor the five-second rule, so if somebody picks up a host and hands it back to me, I consume it and life goes on. But there's this reality, again, to acknowledge the fact that it's truly Christ. To be reverent when we come forward so as to do our best not to drop the host. But if it does happen, to treat it reverently. To be able to give the host back to the minister if we're not comfortable consuming it, we'll we'll give you another host. Uh, And the minister, if it's not me, uh, will bring it back to the altar for it to be cared for properly. Usually what is also prescribed by the church is that the place where it was dropped would be purified. Uh, and so there's a proper procedure for one to take the cloth and the purificators we use at Mass for the chalices to take a clean one and to purify the floor. It's a little harder to do on carpet, uh, but we make the best of what we can in that situation as well uh, to honor the fact that our Lord is there. Thankfully, I've never had it happen in, the, in, in our parish Uh, But I have had it happen in other places. The question of what happens if one finds a host in the pew or in the missalette or on the floor because it's happened. There's been instances that I've known in other places where somebody opened up the missalette to sing the hymn and the blessed sacrament is staring them in the face. And they're looking going, why are you here? This is not what communion is about. It's not about putting the Lord back in the missalette. Uh, I know Jesus likes to sing, but that's not the manner by which things happen. If that is the case, again, I would encourage you to, uh, to bring the host directly to me or to, if there's a visiting priest, to him and to explain what happened. Uh, if you're in here, if you're, like you're cleaning the chapel or visiting for something or if you're in another parish and you find the host, uh, I would ask that you would simply, if, if I'm not here, um, that, you could, that you would place it on the altar. Uh, and if I come in and find a host on the altar... I'm going to kind of freak out and be like, okay, we need code red. This is important, you know, and to be able to respond to the Lord in that way as well. In a similar fashion, if we see someone receiving but not eating the host, it's okay to say something. One time I was at a funeral and, the, you know, people come forward and you don't know who's who and this kind of thing. And afterwards, somebody came back and said, and I was, I was a deacon at the time, they said, deacon, we saw someone... Uh, in the pew, kind of giggling after communion and, and kind of making, you know, making a mess of something, can you, can you come see? And uh, what they had done is they had taken the Blessed Sacrament, gone back to their pew, crumpled it up in tiny pieces, dropped it on the floor, and laughed about it with their friend because they thought it was a joke, making fun of our faith. It's a grievous offense against the Lord, and yet it's something very serious. Again, that's the Lord. And so if we see someone usually going back to the pew who hasn't received communion yet, usually it's not malicious, you know. Usually they just don't know or, or they're not familiar. They don't understand exactly what to receive or they're just kind of absent-minded that day. That happens. But for the sake of the, the, the care of the Blessed Sacrament as well as for, uh, for the sake of the particular person, it's okay to, to approach them and say, are, are you going to receive that? Are you going to consume the host? And if not, can you give it back to me so I can give it to Father? Um, and if you don't feel comfortable with that, I feel comfortable with that. So come tell me. We'll make it, we'll make it happen. Another question that has been raised a number of times uh, is whether a person of another faith, another uh, a Protestant church, uh, can receive communion in our church. 
as well as whether we as Catholics ought to receive communion in another church. And the answer to both of those is no. Uh, We should not receive, nor are others permitted to receive in our own church. And the reason for that is because communion is not only communion with me and Jesus, it's me and Jesus in the entire community with which we worship. As Catholics, we profess that whenever we receive the Eucharist, we're believing everything that the faith professes. Everything that the church teaches, we're saying, yeah, we, we agree to that. We may struggle with it, but we're saying, yeah, we're, we're here. We profess our Catholic faith. For someone else to do that of another faith is a lie. When I was a Methodist as a young man, we had communion. We had a little altar rail at our church. You knew it would go up, and they would, have, they would have little cups of the grape juice, and they would come around. They didn't have, they didn't have a host uh, in the form that we have it. They would take a large loaf of bread that was uncut, and you would just pick a piece of the loaf off, and, and you would eat, and you would drink from your little cup of juice, and that was communion. And I understood that it was a sign that was remembering Jesus. It was remembering what Jesus did. In no way, shape, or form did I believe that that was actually Jesus, and no one else did either. But as Catholics, we believe something entirely different. When I became Catholic, I was rather frustrated that I had to go to a class to learn how to receive First Holy Communion. I was like, well, I've received communion hundreds of times already. What's so different about this? I said, a lot. And then they gave a long talk. And I was 12, so I was like, whatever, you know. But eventually, the reality sunk in of the gift of what was happening with the Lord. That it wasn't just something to remind me of Jesus, that it was Jesus himself. And in the same sense, whenever we go to another church, so instances of funerals or weddings or other such celebrations, it's good to go. We should go. Again, family and community are important things for us to be present with and for other people. But at the same time, it's not good for us uh, to profess, yeah, we are completely in union with you and belief. Because that means either A, they should be Catholic, or B, we should not be. And either way of those is an issue. And so there's a, a reality in which uh, cross-communion, uh, mixed communion, uh, is not something that's good for us because it, it basically it's a, a falsification of the reality of our state that we're not completely in union. And so not receiving communion in different churches, it brings that about for us to be able to have that discussion of how can we draw closer together How can we come to union in our faiths? Sometimes in Holy Communion, there's, uh, I've I've seen it a handful of times, Uh, it's what's known as intinction. Uh, Again, there's a special word for everything we do in the Catholic faith. And so there's a form of receiving Holy Communion called intinction, in which the host is dipped into the precious blood and the chalice and then consumed. A priest is not permitted to do that in the U.S., we're not permitted to, do, to distribute communion under that form. I wish we did. It would make it super easy. But such is not the case. And so the only time that I'm even permitted to do intinction, as it's referred to, is when I would be concelebrating a Mass and if I'm sick. Uh, so if I'm sick, I don't want to receive out of the chalice and get every other priest after me sick. Uh, and so the proper form would be for me to take the host and to do the intention to, to immerse it in the precious blood, and then to consume both at the same time for the sake of health reasons. Again, it's an exception for me to be able to do it, and it's not permitted for a layperson to do it at any point at any time. 
if you're not if you're if you're sick and you don't feel like uh, you don't feel comfortable receiving from the chalice for fear that other people might get sick, it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to receive under both forms. Again, another cool word in the Catholic faith: concomitants. Concomitants is a theor- is is a, 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 a theological term to describe the fact that where one one species is, there are both concomitants being uh, that they travel together with. And so where you receive the host, you receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. If you receive just the chalice, you receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. If you receive one, it's not like you receive 50% of Jesus, so you have to give it the other half. That's not the case. Otherwise, a whole bunch of people in the world will be missing half of Jesus. Because in many places, they can't afford to buy the wine to be able to, to have enough for an entire community. And so it's that, that reality that, that if we receive under one species, that's fine. You're receiving the fullness of Jesus. But it's not permitted for us to take a host and to immerse it in the chalice uh, and then to consume it ourselves. Um, because part of that is, again, the risk of, of the Blessed Sacrament, the, 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 the blood dripping from that onto Shirts, shoes, ties, the floor, etc. Uh, and so it's for the care of the Blessed Sacrament in that instance as well uh, that one is encouraged to receive. Um, we're encouraged to receive both, uh, but to be able to do so in the forms that the church permits us at this time. Also, whenever you receive, uh, whether you receive on the, on the hand or in the tongue, to be mindful of how it happens, to be able to do so in a reverent manner. If you receive on the tongue, it's pretty simple. You just stick your tongue out. If you want to practice, if you're not sure how it goes, uh, the proper way that we were told at the seminary is to allow the tip of your tongue to touch the bottom of your lip. And so you go home in the mirror and you go, uh, and that's how you do it. Uh, and then open up a little bit because don't, don't go. Because that's hard to, that's when I start poking people in the lip. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sometimes it's just because I got bad aim, but, but give me a good target too. Ah, you know. I don't mean to take it lightly. It's a very serious thing. But at the same time, I'm serious. Um, but also whenever receiving in the hand, uh, and it's similar to, to be able to do so in a manner that's, that's uh, receptive to the Lord, uh, not to, uh, basically not to, to come up with your, your fingers out like this for fear because I, I'm afraid I'm going to drop the Lord through the fingers. Uh, if, you're, if you've got like a, a money slot like a piggy bank, you're collecting Jesus. Uh, again, I'm not sure that you have your hands closed at the bottom. And so the Lord may fall straight through. Again, these are things I'm paranoid as a priest. Uh, if you want to know what happens in my mind during Holy Communion, that's half of it right there. And so to be able to, to be mindful, to, to, to have a, a flat service in our hand, to be able to receive communion. And then afterwards, look at your hand. I've preached on this before, but look at your hand, because quite often there may be a small piece of the host still remaining there. I see it often myself. You see how meticulously I clean the vessels. There's little particles all over. And I invite you please to look at your hands afterwards and to make sure there's no little little, uh, small particles that are remaining on your hand or on your fingers as you receive. Another thing, this is where it gets a little difficult and people start to feel a little more uncomfortable is those who ought to receive communion. Again, we can get upset because people of other faiths can't receive Holy Communion in our church. It seems kind of like we're mean and and opposed to other people, but the reality is there are some Catholics who shouldn't be receiving communion either. And this is the hard part. 
right? The church invites us and requires of us that whenever we receive Holy Communion, we do so in a state of grace. The church teaches that there is one person who has to receive communion at Mass, and it's the priest who offers the sacrifice. The priest has to. Everyone else is encouraged to do the discernment of, am I spiritually prepared? Am I in a state of grace? Am I alive on the Lord to receive Him today? And if the answer is no or probably not, then that's the invitation for us to not receive Holy Communion that day. A lot of times I've heard that, um, that other individuals have heard that missing Mass is no longer a serious sin. You were told wrong, if that's the case. Missing Mass is serious. It's grave sin because it's something in which we say the Lord gave me an obligation to be able to attend Mass, to be able to make an hour for Him once a week. But if I have something better to do, it means I have something more important to me than God. And if I have something more important to me than God, that's a problem. It's something that separates us by our own choosing. It's not that God is being mean and He's saying, no, I don't want you to come to communion. It's, it's us saying, no, I didn't want to receive you. I didn't want to receive you. And so the church invites us, uh, if we have committed some mortal sin, for, such as uh, skipping Mass intentionally, to be able to refrain from receiving communion until we go to sacramental reconciliation. That's the gift of reconciliation is that we can come and know the mercy of the Lord and be able to once again to go and experience His life, to be filled with His fullness and with His grace. You wonder why I push confession so much. Life and grace. That's why we're here. And this is where it happens too. Another thing that has come up quite often, especially in some of the, some of the recent discussions uh, regarding uh, Pope Francis's exhortation, uh, Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love, And it's the question of those who are divorced or divorced and remarried and receiving Holy Communion. If a person is divorced, there is no reason whatsoever for them to stop receiving Communion. I've heard, unfortunately, some that said whenever they were divorced, they were told they were excommunicated and no longer welcome in the church, which is wrong and it's a lie. And it's a place from, it's where the evil one speaks, trying to separate us from from the Lord himself. If one is simply divorced, again, they ought to come to communion if they are in a state of grace. If their soul is prepared for it, they ought to come. The question comes whenever one is divorced and remarried outside the church. At that point, they ought to stop receiving Holy Communion. And the purpose is not as a punishment. It's really not. See, the church takes our sacraments very seriously, in case you've never noticed the preparation that has to go into it, the meticulousness of a lot of the things, the little bitty rules that seem inconsequential, they're all ways in which we show the importance of the sacraments that we celebrate. And the same thing with holy matrimony. In holy matrimony, we recognize that as Catholics, we profess that whenever two people say, I do, we as Catholics understand that it's yes for life, period, till death do us part. And we honor that bond, We recognize that commitment that a person has made in the life of the church. And so if that person, if one or both of those people are divorced and they go and they marry someone else, it becomes a question of who are you really married to? Because the church sees that first marriage as being a permanent bond. 
And yet one is living in a separate relationship with someone else as if that was now their spouse. Where are we married? To whom are we married? And who discerns that bond? So as part of the church's responsibility to, to offer annulments, to look at the, the instances to see, was it a sacramental bond? Was this bond actually present there? And to look at it, and if not, to be able to, to make it free for a person to marry afterwards. But if so, to be able to encourage um, chastity, in a sense. And so, again, these things are not punishments, but they're invitations for us to recognize the gift of what we receive. Lastly, is one that I don't think we often hear about, uh, and sometimes whenever a father preaches long, it's not really an issue, like today. You're welcome, and I'm sorry. The issue of fasting before Mass. Uh, the church also asks us not only to be in a state of grace, but that we would have fasted for an hour before receiving Holy Communion. Uh, so again, when Father preaches long, you can pretty much eat until about 15 minutes before Mass, and then, you know, off you go. Uh, but it's to, to be able to make that time, to set aside an hour before receiving Holy Communion, and in a sense to allow our body to cleanse itself and to prepare itself for the gift of the Eucharist. Now, if you have diabetes or if you have some medical reason where you have to eat something, that's okay. If you've got some reason, like, we would much rather you uh, have a pack of Smarties in the pew and eat those rather than pass out and, uh, and, 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 and you know, kind of uh, miss, the entire, miss the entire thing and, and certainly cause a confusion and disturbance uh, among those who are around you of concern. Uh, and so it's to acknowledge that, too, the, the gift of fasting and preparation for our Lord. And all this is basically, again, to wrap around to the fact that if the disciples were so concerned about the fragments of the bread that was left on the hill, how much more are we to be concerned about the things that we celebrate here? The gift of the Lord Jesus. We have much more than a Babe Ruth baseball that we can put in our hands, and all the money in the world wouldn't be enough to purchase what God gives to us freely right here in this altar. And so we pray the grace of the Lord to be with us to increase our faith, to increase our strength, to increase our joy, and to ask Him to fill us with the peace of His presence as we come to honor Him, to receive Him, and to worship Him in this Mass.